Welcome to the latest episode of Comic Book Physics. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This month we're going to be looking at a topic suggested by Mark Smith of the Horizon Labs Facebook and Twitter group, specifically super speed, and all the various characters that have super speed powers, and what that entails. So with super speed, we're looking at characters who can move much more quickly than the rest of us. And in order to move that quickly, they also have to be able to have a much faster reaction time than the rest of us, since there's less time elapsed between when an obstacle appears before them and when they would hit it in order to avoid it. And there are a number of characters with these powers. There was the Flash, the Silver Streak, Johnny Thunder, Johnny Quick, all these characters right from the Golden Age. We've got Superman, we've got various other incarnations of the Flash, we've got Quicksilver. There's no shortage of super speed characters in the history of comic books. But what does it mean? How viable is that power? Well, for one thing, as we said, they have to be able to react more quickly. So perhaps in the Silver Age, when they're treating Superman as a genius, that's a side effect of the super speed. Is he really that much more intelligent than the rest? Depends a little bit on how you define intelligence. There's some people who try to define it as, you know, the result you get in an IQ test. Well, in my day job, I'm a teacher. In my experience, the only thing that an IQ test score accurately predicts is your performance on subsequent IQ tests. Everyone has good days and bad days. Everyone has some areas where they excel at a little bit more than others. It's a decent rule of thumb. IQs should not be treated as absolute in any way, shape, or form. For example, if you define intelligence as someone's level of creativity, how much original thought can they come up with? What can they conceive of that others do not? That's a little bit different than being able to solve problems or go through processes. Let's take a look a little bit at what super speed means to how quickly one can think, assuming you are a successful speedster and you're not just slamming into buildings all the time. So Superman is one of the best known super speed characters, not quite the Flash, but still he can run significantly faster than the average person. Even if we go beyond the average person, if you could start doing the 100 meter dash in 10 seconds, that's 10 meters per second and that's Olympic level speeds. So a character who could run at Mach 1, or the speed of sound, can run at around 343 meters per second. Now, Superman, according to second volume of The Flash, issue 220, can run at 2,000 miles per second, or around 9,350 times the speed of sound. Oddly, he can have a conversation back and forth with The Flash when he's doing this. The Flash should not be able to hear Superman when Superman's behind him, and they're both traveling faster than the speed of sound. But anyway, at this point, Superman is traveling about 321,869 times faster than that Olympic-level athlete who's running at 10 meters per second. And Superman is doing that through cities, forests, whatever regions they come across. So his reaction time is fast enough that he doesn't collide with anything by accident. So he's got to be thinking about, you know, 321,869 times faster, if not more, because of the reaction time. We'll get into that a little bit later. So just to put that in perspective, if Clark Kent takes two seconds to answer a question, that would be like a normal person taking almost seven and a half days to think about it, because Clark Kent's thought process must work that much proportionally faster. Now, some of this depends on the way super speed works. If you treat it as sort of an on and off switch, well, then that wouldn't necessarily be the case. 
On the other hand, if you treat it the way it was treated in Blackest Night, where Barry Allen talks about how difficult it is for speedsters to slow down enough for normal conversations, then that's an indication that the super speed is always there and it takes conscious effort to run at normal speed. In which case, they'll always have that time. They'll be able to think about that problem very, very thoroughly and very carefully. I just can't imagine how much concentration it takes to speak at normal speeds when you have to stretch two seconds worth of conversation out over seven and a half days from your perspective. I just don't see how they can still talk. But in any case, a speedster who is constantly moving at that speed, who stays on task that entire time, would be perceived as being incredibly intelligent, just because these quick answers are what other people come up with after spending a lot of time digging through it. The same would be true for anyone who can travel at that speed, whether they're, you know, the Barry Allen Flash, the Wally West Flash, Pietro Maximoff or Quicksilver, Silver Streak, the Jay Garrick Flash for that matter. Doesn't matter which speedster it is. I mean, even Impulse, his personality means he may not choose to spend a lot of time on any given topic, but he will be able to spend more time thinking about a topic than normal people around him just because his mind moves that much faster. Now, given that they can think that quickly, does that scale immediately, right? If they can run 321,869 times faster than an Olympic level athlete, can they also think proportionally that much faster? Or can they process the information more slowly, more quickly? How does that work? Well, let's take a look at the way information is processed. Light reflects off an object, lands in your eyes. If we're talking about running within an atmosphere, we can assume we're significantly less than the speed of light. Otherwise, the friction just sets the atmosphere on fire. We've got a whole other set of problems to deal with. Now, if we're dealing with a human nerve ending, the fastest speed any information has been measured to travel across the human nerve ending is 119 meters per second. Sounds fairly quick. It's about four times faster than highway speeds, at least in North America. Unfortunately, it's actually not all that fast compared to, say, a printed circuit board. And that's because a nerve fires catalyzed with potassium or sodium or some of the other electrolytes, the message transmits to the other end of that nerve, and then it has to get transmitted through gaps and firing again and again. And each gap, each nerve, takes a little bit of time to reset. But let's assume that there's, say, a four centimeter distance to travel between the retina and the visual cortex. And it's going at this 119 meters per second, which is the speed for muscle. I couldn't find the speed for the optic nerve itself, but it's probably a bit slower than that based on other nerve endings. So to travel that four centimeters, well, we're looking at a transmission time of about 0.336 milliseconds to get the information to the brain once an obstacle is spotted. If you're traveling at 2,000 miles per second at that time, that means that Superman would run a little over a kilometer, so 1.082 kilometers, or for our Imperial listeners, 0.6723 miles by the time the information about what he just saw reaches his brain. Then we have to add in the time for his brain to process it, send signals to his muscles to change the course, figure out what course they need to change to, I mean, with Superman, he's got enough supervision that he can see through obstacles in front of him to see further obstacles down the road. It's plausible that he would be able to keep up with what's going on and manage not to collide. But what about your Barry Allens, your Wally Wests, the guys who can only see what's right there? They wouldn't be able to run at top speed very often because something would get in the way. And they just simply wouldn't have time to move out of the way 
by the time they reacted, unless the super speed powers that increase their ability to move their muscles that quickly also increase the speed of transmission along the nerves, also increase the mental processing time in proportion. In those cases, with those other caveats, then it would probably work. Now, can we power the muscles that way? That's another question. Muscles need resources to move. They consume things to burn. That's why we eat. It's why we breathe. So assuming everything is proportionate, we're looking at almost 322,000 times as much oxygen is going to be processed, about 322,000 times as many calories or as much sugar. I mean, sure, their legs may be able to pump more rapidly than normal, but that means that their feet are also hitting the ground a lot harder than normal. They're going to be taking a lot more punishment, so their feet have to be a lot more durable. When they're breathing to provide oxygen to these body parts, we run into a different problem. We think about breathing as the act of drawing air in and forcing air out, but we don't actually interact directly with the air molecules. What we're really doing is increasing and decreasing the volume of our lungs and allowing the natural pressure differentials to drive gases in and out of those lungs. That works fairly well under normal conditions in terms of the speeds that we move at. The faster you go and the faster you need that gas to come in and out, the more of a delay there is between increasing and decreasing the volume of the lungs and the air moving to correspond to it. So if you're moving as fast as some of these characters are, you'd have a serious problem trying to draw in enough oxygen to sustain yourself. Not to mention trying to maintain enough calories and enough energy to do this, because every time you propel yourself, you are using that energy. Now, kinetic energy is equal to one-half mv squared, ignoring relativistic effects, which means it's proportionate to the square of your velocity or the square of the speed. So moving twice as fast requires four times as many calories because of that v squared dependence. That means that moving 321,869 times faster than normal would require 103,599,653,161 times as many calories to get yourself up to that speed in the first place. That's more than our bodies can store under normal conditions. So either these speedsters are doing short bursts and then stopping for huge meals and doing short bursts again, or their physiology has to change so that it, some of these things are stored. So just like a capacitor, an electric circuit can store electrical energy for use later and to regulate the flow of the current, super speedsters have to have a complete change of physiology to store oxygen for use at a later time and to store other sugars and calories for use at a later time without getting insanely fat, unless you've got some other explanations available. In the case of Superman, you can put a lot of this on his alien physiology that they've deliberately not explained a lot about. In the case of the Wally West and later flashes, you've got the speed force, which has been attributed with protecting them from the frictional effects of, of running through the air at that speed and some other effects that are going on. So you may be able to hand wave some of this away with those characters. Some of the classic characters, your Silver Streaks, your Jay Garrick Flash, even your Barry Allen Flash, prior to Flash Rebirth that connected into the Speed Force, they would have very difficult times working. If they're moving even close to the speed of light, which is something that has been suggested that Superman can do outside the atmosphere, Flash can do within the atmosphere, then we run into all sorts of other problems namely the Doppler effect. 
If you've ever watched a race on TV, you've heard the Doppler effect. When the cars go by with that characteristic sound, what you're hearing is an engine with a uniform pitch of sound approaching you, so the crests are closer together, and it's a higher pitch, and then moving away from you, so the crests of that sound wave are further apart, making it a lower pitch. And I've been saying crests when I mean compressions. Sound waves are not transverse waves, they're longitudinal waves. The Doppler effect affects all waves, including light. If you approach red light fast enough, you can make it turn green, or at least appear green to you. You're way above the speed limit at that point, so I wouldn't use that as an argument in court if you get a speeding ticket or a, a red light camera ticket, but it is possible. That's also why I knew people in universities who had bumper stickers on their office doors saying if this text appears blue, slow down, when the text was printed in red. If you move fast enough, you can Doppler shift light out of the visible spectrum. If you're moving away from it, you can push it down through the infrared, microwave, and radio ranges. If you're moving towards the source of light to increase the frequency and increase the apparent energy, then you push it upward into ultraviolet, X-ray, gamma-ray, and even cosmic ray levels of energy. Not such a big deal when we're talking about working inside an atmosphere at even Mach 10,000. It does turn into a fairly big deal when you're talking about moving close to the speed of light in the vacuum of space. So in short, in order to make superspeed work, the powers have to have a lot of ancillary effects beyond just simply making muscles go fast. We need a complete change of physiology to move at these speeds without any side effects, including clearly the ones that are not showing up on the pages. So in order to deal with that, they have to really get into the metabolism of these speed characters. That hasn't happened, but I can see a storyline in there somewhere where some evil scientist is trying to reproduce speed powers, gathers up all the speedsters to try and dissect and analyze and figure out you know, where these powers are coming from, how they can reproduce it, and what corresponding changes to the bodies have happened. If anyone is aware of a story like that that I'm not aware of, please drop me a line and let me know. You can reach us at Bureau42Podcasts at gmail.com, which is the same address that you use to submit ideas for future topics. And please rate the show on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also come to Bureau42.com, where the show is released, and comment directly on the articles where the shows are released. And that's about all we have to say for this month. So, again, thank you for listening. I do appreciate all the listeners that we have. And join us again on the last Wednesday of next month.